Good morning, Solid Word. And to everyone that is joining us um, on YouTube or uh, through our church's website, again, um, even though <clears throat> we've had to change our mode of connecting with you, the fact remains that, that, that God is the one, of course, who is staying connected and that we continue to be able to connect and encourage you. So I am I'm grateful um, that I have the opportunity to bring God's word. Um, yes, it is a, different, a, a definite excuse me, change and sometimes a little difficult not being able to connect um, on a regular basis, but we are looking forward to hearing from the Lord and hopefully this message continues to encourage you as um, God knows where you are, he knows who you are, and he for sure knows what's happening in our world. Over this last week, we've seen even more changes as it seems that things have ramped up and it doesn't seem like they're getting any better. And yet, <clears throat> there was a post that I put out there um, this week on social media that actually stated, you know, when it seems like things are out of control behind the scenes, there is a God who has not relinquished his sovereignty. And so that is still the case. So this morning, as we get into his word, I hope you find yourself or allow yourself to be encouraged by God's word and allow his spirit to strengthen you so that you can continue to glorify him, bring him honor and to help others around you to be stabilized as we all walk through this difficult time. And so I'm going to um, take your attention and I'm going to bring you to kind of a continuation from two weeks ago where we were when we talked about a joyful church in a suffering world. And so what I want to be able to do is for you to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going back there again and we're going to read from verses 13 through 19 and then from verses 22 to 23 um, as we are going to look at um, what God has to say to us this morning. So join me in prayer before we read. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be in your word. I pray, God, that from it that we would be instructed, we would be encouraged, Lord, and we would be corrected, we would be rebuked, Lord, um, we would be settled so that we would be able to demonstrate who you are, represent you um, uh, greatly to this world. And those that are looking in, Lord, that do not know you, I pray that they will be able to find hope, Lord, in your word as it is being proclaimed. And so um, I pray, God, that you would just give us wisdom, help us to pay attention, sharpen our focus. And at the end, oh God, allow us to be able to see what you want us to from your word, that we would live like you want us to from your word. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's read together, if you would, 1 Peter um, chapter 1, starting at verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. <clears throat> and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In verse 22, you can read the connecting verses um, on your own time, but we're going to jump down to verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so with that today as a as a title, as a tag on this particular text, what I want to label it is preparing to live God's way while you suffer. Preparing to live God's way while you suffer. And we know, as we said the last time, <clears throat> the context of this is that Peter was writing to believers 
who were beginning to and had already started to be under siege for their faith. And they were living almost as exiles. They were living as people that were outside of their homeland. They were living as people that were not of this world. <clears throat> and so because of that, Peter had to settle their heart and mind and he had to settle who they were to be, understanding who they are and who they were. And so he writes to them and, and, and helps them to get a good understanding of what's going to come um, in, I mean, in addition to what's actually happening. So I want us this morning in answering or in looking at this topic of preparing to live God's way while you suffer, I want to look at four areas, four things that will help us in, um, in preparing ourselves to live according to God's plan. The four things I'm just going to read to you at first, and then we're going to look through them one by one. Firstly, ready yourself. Really simple. We're going to look at how to ready yourself. Second thing we'll do is that we'll look at um, how to refine yourself. So in order to prepare to live God's way while you suffer, you'll have to ready yourself, refine yourself, remind yourself, and to resolve in yourself um, some things that this text is calling us to do. And through that, what I want to be able to show us is that we will be prepared to be the kinds of people um, that God desires as we are claiming to be Christ followers. And this morning, if you find yourself um, as one that is not a follower of Christ, what I want you to be able to see is that, is that how being in Christ can and will settle you and give you purpose um, um, and give you insight in the way that you are to live and the way that God is enabling you to live. So let's jump right on in. <clears throat> the first thing that Peter wants us to see in this text is that we are to ready ourselves. He starts off with a therefore, which, of course, he is connecting us with the verses prior. And as we look from verse, you know, um, the last time we met, I'm sorry, the last time we were on this topic, verse nine, uh, it says obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And then verse 10 through 12 talks about this salvation and how through the prophets of what we call the Old Testament and through the times before the incarnation, through the times before we visibly see Jesus the Christ, that these prophets were, were, were serving us. They were preparing to, to um, us to accept and to understand this salvation that was being revealed. And so when that salvation came in Christ, we could see it as one that had been prophesied about, that had been talked about, and that these prophets were serving us as they were looking to find out the times and the circumstances and the situations that would lead to the revealing of this great salvation. And angels stand marveling at this whole process that God had uh, put into place. And so when we get to verse 13, he says, therefore, since this was something that was planned from long ago, since this was something that God had meticulously laid out and had used these prophets in the past to get us to this point, what he wants us to see, therefore, there's some actions that he wants us to take. Seeing that God had prepared us so well, seeing that he had laid this out as only he can, there is a therefore to what he has done. He didn't just do it for us to stand and be amazed. He did it so that we can respond in his desired fashion. <clears throat> and so what we'll see in this readying of yourself, number one is the ultimate goal is that you would, you would see where you are to set your hope or your expectation or that which will definitely happen. You know, this word fails us, as I've said before, this word fails us in our um, um, English language because we use hope as I wish or it, it might not happen, but 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 it would be a great thing. And I greatly desire it to this word. Hope is this expectation that you can come to expect I mean, this expectation that is a surety. In essence, you can come to expect it. And so he says this is going to give you and prepare you where to set or where to anchor your hope. 
And so in that first point to ready yourself, understand the ultimate goal is getting you to anchor your expectations somewhere. And then he actually tells us how we're going to get there, how we're going to be able to anchor or set our hope, where we're going to put our gaze. He tells us in that verse, the way we're going to get there is by preparing your minds for action. Actually, in the Greek, what it really says is girding up the loins of your mind. What you have to understand now, back at that time, those that were receiving this letter from Peter would have understood clearly what he meant because of their um, cultural dress, because of the way that they dressed at that time in their long tunics. Whenever you were going to prepare yourself for action, for running, for movement, or for battle, you had to get that tunic up out of your way of your legs so that you didn't trip. And so there was this thing called girding up your loins or it was tying up these areas that were hanging so that they would not impede you, that they would not hinder you. And so what they had in mind, they understood fully what he was saying is that he was telling them to tie up the hanging ends in your mind and in the way you think. In other words, in order for you to set your hope in the right place, there were some things that you have to tie up. It's not just tying up loose ends, it's tying up any ends that would be in your way. And in this case, those ends will be in your mind. That's really interesting. He is telling me to tie up these hanging ends <clears throat> in my thinking, in the way that I process in the way that I go about making decisions, in the way that I place value on things. And so here are some of the hanging ends that we may need to tie up. We may need to tie up that thinking that as I'm going through this suffering, God doesn't love me. God says, that's not true. You need to tie that up. You need to get it to a point where you don't let that hang in your way as you look to move into action to set your hope in the right place. Another one is that God is unfaithful. God's not faithful to me. That's a thinking, that's a, that's a way of thought, that's a process in your mind that what ends up happening is that it gets in your way. You can't move into action of setting your hope in the right place because if in your mind God is unfaithful, you're not gonna place your trust and hope where God wants you to. And so he says to you, Get rid of, tie that up, get it out of your way. Another one is that is this, this is not fair thinking when you're going through suffering. And that God never mentioned that he would be fair because we know that if he was fair, salvation wouldn't come to any of us. And so this whole issue isn't even about being fair. He says he wants you to tie that up, that loose area in your thinking. Another one is thinking with the here on earth only mentality. And that is, I want all the good and I want all the comfort and I want everything that I can grab a hold of while I'm here on earth without any sense of thinking beyond this planet and our life here. That all that I ever think about, plan for, look forward to is only what's here. Now, I don't say that you don't look for what's here, but I do say that if, if, if all of your life is only about being here, it's going to cause some big difficulty as you look to ready yourself to live God's way as you suffer. Another area that we have to tie up is this wrong thinking about suffering. You know, that was Job's friend's problem, is that they thought he had to be doing something wrong for all this to be happening to him. <clears throat> we got some today that if we've heard about a friend or a loved one or someone that has been diagnosed with this virus that is, um, that is just ravaging our world, somehow in the back of our minds we start thinking, are, the, are, are, are they being paid back for something that they did that, or maybe they weren't living like they should. We need to get rid of that because this virus and that God's allowance of it has, I mean, it is, it, it is making no distinctions. 
And whether you are living right for him or you are living totally outside of his will, you can be one that can be found having been diagnosed. It has nothing to do with that. And that we can't claim, and we got to be careful here, because I know the Lord, uh, this cannot happen to me. And then you'll find yourself questioning yourself and God if, and, 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 and please, God forbid it, it doesn't, if it does. And so the issue becomes we need to get rid of that wrong thinking about suffering. God showed us in Job that the righteous suffer. He showed us through our Savior that the righteous suffer. He showed us in the apostles that the righteous suffer. You can be doing everything right. You can be growing well in your faith and find yourself in a position where you are suffering. And if you begin to think that there must be something wrong, and I'm not saying that there isn't, but for you to think as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a believer in God's word, I shouldn't go through anything like this. You are thinking wrong about suffering. And then lastly, there are more, but lastly for this morning, what I'm going to have is <clears throat> another area that you have to tie up that may be hanging down is this unbiblical view of who God is. And for some of us, God is nothing more than that genie. And all I do is I come to him when I want something and I ask something of him and he better do it quickly. And so when I have this unbiblical view of God and my life is not to honor and to worship him, however um, um, life is happening around me or or what is happening in my life, when I have this unbiblical view of who God is, I'm going to stagger and I'm not going to put my hope in the right place. So all those six things that I just mentioned really help us to understand that we're going to get there to anchor our hope in the right place by tying up what may be in the way of us running well. And as we're girding up the loins or preparing our minds for action, in addition to that, we have to be sober-minded. <clears throat> and that brings to mind for us this seriousness of life, that we take this with all seriousness. It doesn't mean that you can't laugh and joke and kid. He's not talking about that. But he understands that this setting your mind in the right position so that you can anchor your hope in the right place is a serious matter because you are not going to be able to run well if your hope is not anchored properly. You, are going to not, you will not be able to manage the waves of the storm if your anchor is not holding in the right place. And so being sober-minded really talks about this, this, this sense of seriousness but this sense of clarity of thought and of mind, we think of people that are not sober as being under the influence of something. In our society, in our laws, <clears throat> you can find yourself in trouble in jail if you are under the influence and you are operating, you are, you are handling machinery, vehicles, cars, while you're under the influence. If that is the case for you, you can find yourself in trouble. Because you are not clear-minded, there is something distracting you, there is something impeding a clear response and a clear thinking. And so what he's saying is that as you gird up those loins and as you find yourself tying up those loose ends, you also have to be in a position where you are thinking clearly without any distractions. I wrote down here, not drunk with anything from this world. You cannot let anything, not one thing, cause you to be drunk over in this world that you can't think or see clearly about where to anchor your hope. Sometimes <clears throat> in this world, we could be drunk with, and before we hit these hard times, we can be drunk with career success, and it would distract us. We could be drunk with material success. Sometimes we could be drunk with comfort. I want it so bad that I do whatever I need. Or sometimes we can allow 
um, the storm to overcome us that we can be drunk with our potential misery. And instead of allowing God to settle our hope. And what Peter is doing here for them and what God is saying to us <clears throat> is that we are to tie up those areas in our thinking and we are to be clear of thought, knowing that we are making the right decisions based on what God has given. And so because of those two things, here's what we can do. Because of the fact that I have prepared my mind for action and that I've been sober minded, now I can do what God is directing us to do. And that is to set my hope fully <clears throat> somewhere. And in this case, on someone. He says to now set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Listen to what he does. He takes us through all that to get us to this place where we anchor ourselves, where we look forward to with affirmed and confirmed expectation of fully experiencing the grace that is being brought to us. We're experiencing now, but in its entirety, when Jesus is fully revealed at the end of time, where he is taking us is outside of our present situation. He tells us in order for you to be able to function in this world, your anchor has to be outside of this world. That if you are anchored to anything here, anything that is seen, and I mean anything, he says it will ultimately not hold when the storms come. And so you could be anchored in your status. You can be anchored in your financial position. You can be anchored even in your family. You can be anchored in your children and all those things have their place. They do, all of them. But he says, boy, if you are not anchored in what's going to be fully revealed to you, in you seeing all of who Jesus is and his intention and, 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 and all of what God has planned, if you don't anchor, if you don't expect, I mean, if your expectation is not in the future outside of this world, it will affect your functioning in this one. Now, for someone to say, there you go with that buy in the buy, I mean, I mean, pie in the sky, buy and buy mentality. No, I'm not saying that you don't function in this world. As a matter of fact, your expectation, your, your, your expectation um, anchored in Christ and whom he's going to be fully revealed to be will cause you to function properly here. You will handle that storm because your anchor is where it cannot be up, um, 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 uplifted, where, where it can't be unhooked. If indeed your expectation is where it should be, you can handle whatever comes, even if it knocks you down, even if it makes life um, extremely difficult, even if you are discouraged for a little while, your anchor is holding because it is not in anything temporal. It is in he who is eternal. And boy, that is what we need right now. Everyone in this world Everyone's life is turned upside down right now. There isn't a nation that isn't affected by it. And here within the United States, every state right now has at least one case, if not more, of a diagnosed coronavirus. Everyone's life and every business is being affected. Every area is being affected. And if your anchor is not in him who is eternal. Boy, there's going to be some point in which your anchor can't hold. And so he tells us, in essence, that we are to have an eternal focus and to not a, have a temporal one. And so, in a, in, and so not only do we have to ready ourselves. And we see the proper place to set our expectation. The next thing that we have to do is to refine 
ourselves. So you refine yourself. And he gives us how we are to do that. And he says, as obedient children, in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He says obedience is behind all your actions in the way that you are purifying or refining like gold is refined in the fire. The way that you refine yourself or allow yourself to be refined because I'm not cleansing myself from sin. It is the spirit's work in my life, but it's because of my obedience to the word of God and allowing the spirit to work in me that I am being refined. And so how do I refine myself? By removing your pre-Christ passions from the throne of your choices. What do I mean by that? Remove your pre-Christ passions from the throne of your choices. In other words, he says here, look, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He says, when you lived your life ignorant of what Christ had done and ignorant of what Christ has instructed us to do and how to live and who to be, those ways in which you lived for the Christ follower before you came to Christ, he says, you are not to let those things come back up on the throne of your life. See, he didn't say that they will no longer try and dethrone whom you have on the throne of your life. He says, whatever they may try, you do not allow that which was on the throne when you were ignorant of Christ and who he is and the life in Christ. You are not to let that get back in a decision-making mode in your life. And see, during suffering, our default settings, during suffering, our default settings will go back to the way we did things before we knew Jesus. And we'll start acting and thinking in ways like we used to because it seems that that was the only comfortable default setting. And so I'll get back to thinking that I'm going to work this out on my own or I'll get back to starting to cower in fear or I'll get back to acting unloving and unkind and I'll get back to starting to be greedy and I'll get back to attitudes of, of hoarding because the only person I'm thinking about is myself and I'll start to isolate myself and to get away from, from, from connecting with others, even though I know we can't physically connect right now, but I'll just get into this place where all I think about and the only ones I think about are me and those right around me. And God doesn't want us to get there. And the only way we don't is that we don't allow these old ways of thinking and living to climb back on the decision-making throne in our lives. Understand this, the power of the old life has been broken by Christ if you are one of his. It's been broken. Romans tells us that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. It shall not rule over you anymore. Oh, it's still there wanting to take control, but the power of sin has been broken over the life of the believer, yes, we still trip and we still fall, but it's not because we had no other choice. And now fear becomes a choice. I can choose not to fear, even if it is extremely difficult. I can choose not to fear. I can choose not to be overwhelmed by it. I can be choose, I mean, I can choose not to succumb to it. I can choose not to be controlled or driven by it. Because he tells us not to go back to our old passions. He says, but instead, he says, but instead, what you are to do <clears throat> is to allow what he's already given to, to, to cause you to be like your father. In other words, you are to demonstrate the character of your heavenly father. Because he says here in that verse, um, 
But as he who called you is holy, the one who called you out of sin, the one who called you out of darkness, the one who called you to himself, his very nature and character is holy. So when he called you, that first call that God made was a call to holiness and purity. And he provided that when he gave Christ as that sacrifice for sin so that you can be forgiven and stand before him pure and clean because of the work of Christ. So he says to you and I, you know, the one who called you was holy, then you ought to be like the one who called you to come to himself. Verse 16 says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And here it says, backing up to verse 15, he says, also be holy in all your conduct in every area of your life. Let the purity of the character of God begin to shine through and demonstrate itself as you deal with others and as you deal with whatever you're going through in your life. And he says that's possible. So refine yourself. And just in case you say, well, I was just born that way for the person who has given their life to Christ and they are forgiven of their sins and now they are new in Christ. For the person that says, I was born that way, I will have to say to you, but you forget you've been born again. The issue is for you and I, we are to live according to our Father's characteristics. We are to bear the characteristics of our Father. And so not only do we ready ourselves and we refine ourselves, the next thing that we have to do is that we have to remind ourselves if we are going to live God's way while we're suffering, we have to remind ourselves. <clears throat> and verse 17 says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the entire, I mean, throughout the time of your exile, throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. And understand where he is taking us. He says, you have to remind yourself constantly. <clears throat> you have to remind yourself of what was done to get you to where you are. He says, if you call on him, as father who judges impartially, if 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 you call out to God as father, because you know that he is your father, you are also one that has to be reminded that he judges impartially. He is saying here that how you live, that you will be held accountable. And this is not to place any more burden on us while we're going through. This is to help us to think clearly as we're going through. He says, God says, listen, <clears throat> God wants us to understand that while we are living through this time of exile as Christians in this world that lives differently from us, and especially now that you are suffering um, as you walk out this faith as an exile or that you're not at home, he says to you and I, understand that God is the one who looks at our motives, who looks at the choices that we make, who looks at our lifestyles. He's not sitting there waiting to hammer you with the stick, but he's reminding you that you are accountable to him. He is the one in whom you answer to. And so because you answer to him and because he is the one who looks purely at your heart, and to how he knows he's prepared you and how he knows and, 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 and what he has given to you to be able to go through this. He says you live with this fear, not this cowering that you can't make up, but, but with this reverence for who has called you and who he is and what it took to get you there. He says, remind yourself of who you're talking to, of who you're calling on. What is his character like and the fact 
that he is going to deal with us impartially. He's not going to deal with us based on how he dealt with your friend and how he dealt with your cousin or your sister or your brother or your mom or your dad, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friends. He said he's going to deal with you impartially and it's not going to be based on anything that you've amassed in this world. And he says, because you were ransomed, you were brought back. In other words, there was a price to get you to him. You did not come cheap. Jesus had to pay for you to be in relationship with him, with his very life. And this salvation that you have is not cheap. This salvation that's been given to you didn't come easy. What you are able to stand in and how you are able to believe did not come lightly. It came with a heavy price. And God wants us to, 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 to understand that and to remember that as we are going through our own trials. You aren't going through anything. And again, God is not making light of any of what we're going through. He understands the heaviness. He understands the weight of it all. But what he is saying is that understand what it took to get you to be in me. It took a great sacrifice. And he says, I want you to remember that. Remind yourself of that as you're going through. This salvation is not cheap. Jesus did not die, as I said a couple of weeks ago, just to give you stuff. Jesus didn't die so that your material life would be easy. Jesus died so that you would be in a relationship with him or through him and with the Father. And so understand, remind yourself also that you were ransomed from the price that was paid was to get you out of, get you away from that feudal way that was passed down by your forefathers. And, and in essence, here's what he's saying. What you have may be culturally given and passed down, but it does not have an eternal focus in mind. In other words, yeah, it may be cultural, but it's not eternal. And so what he's talking to here, the Gentile believers that he was talking to is that their way of life, however grand it was or whatever it promised, was not going to end in the way that they liked. It was going to end being separated from God and without him. And so he says, your, your way of life, your plan of life, your path of life was futile. It was of no value, eternally speaking. Oh, it may have given you a lot here, but it wasn't even going to give you all that life was intended to be here. And I'm not talking about some skipping through the park without any problems in the world. I'm talking about this content and this purpose of life that holds you. And there is this substance about your life and about your living that allows you to handle whatever comes, however difficult it is. And so when he says that, that, that we understand that our ways that we were um, that that were passed down to us about how to live our lives when it was outside of Christ, however great the instruction was, did not end in that which would have given eternal value. And so he says, remind yourself of that. And you're not going to give up. You're not going to walk away. You're not going to exchange what God has for something that the world is trying to give you. You're not going to exchange God's settling word and the peace that comes from knowing God. You're not going to exchange it for the fear that comes from trying to grab and get all that you can in this world at any cost, trying to make sure that I, that I do what I want now instead of understanding and living how God wants and settling myself because of what Christ has done. And so not only am I to ready myself, refine myself, and to remind myself. Lastly, 
I'm to resolve in myself or you are to resolve in yourself in order to live God's way while you suffer. What does he want us to resolve? Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He tells us that, look, we are to make ourselves ready for the battle of loving one another from a pure heart or without this sinful agenda as I am part of the family of God. See, now, that doesn't seem like a really hard end. You take me through all this so that I love from a pure heart that sounds so weak. No, that is actually how you are demonstrating that indeed uh, Christ has truly changed you, that you belong to the family of God. Remember what he said, Jesus said to those disciples as they were there, that one of the marks of, of, of you now being sent from me and being my representatives and being this new priesthood, he says, what is going to be this distinguishing mark is your love that you have for one another and that, and that love was going to be out of this pure heart. It would not be out of the sinful side and hidden agendas of trying to reward myself or lift myself up or set some, thi- um, um, some things aside for myself, but it would be out of a pure heart. He says that I would be able to love from purity. And the way that I resolve that, he says, is what he mentioned before. Verse 22 says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, you living out the word that you read, that you study, you allowing God to to help you to be obedient to what you are reading and studying will, will, will continue to cleanse your heart, will continue to purify you. So that when you go in the community of believers, when you go to live, you will demonstrate a love that only comes from God. And it is is a love, it it is a looking out for the well-being of another from a pure heart. I'm not trying to see what I can get out of it. I'm not trying to set it up that I'm going to make it such that, that, that when I have a need, um, you're going to owe me or that or that when I come to you one day for something, you you know, hey, you better give it because I've been padded how you should respond to me. He says loving without agenda comes from a pure heart that comes from continually practicing the word of God, being obedient to it and will cause your heart to change. It will help you to set your anchor in the right place. It will help to set your focus eternally instead of temporally. It will help you to see God more clearly. It will help you to keep your lifestyle pure. It will remind you of who you are in Christ and what it took to get you to where you are in Christ. And because of that, it pushes you outside of yourself instead of focusing in on yourself. And you begin to demonstrate love for one another. You begin to care for people um, at the sacrifice of yourself. You begin, you, you begin to, to depend on God as you serve others. You begin to love God and it helps you in loving in all of its various ways others. And so you stop worrying about you and you begin to look for ways in which you can demonstrate Christ to your world. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't take care of your health. And, and, and it surely doesn't mean that you don't distance yourself if you find yourself ill. But what it does mean is that you still have a love for God and for the people of God. And it causes you to be settled and allow God to work through you and use you even in your suffering or your sickness or wherever you find yourself, you are still used by God to demonstrate the character of God as you relate to others, whether it's virtually or in person. And so that is such a settling thing that our anchor holds sure 
because our anchor is not in any man or woman. Our anchor is in Christ. Our anchor is not in any job. Our anchor is not in, 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 in any financial situation. And although they, those may become rocked in all that's happening right now, you still hold firm, loving God and loving his people as you interact with them, wanting to see others come to know God. And they are looking at your life in amazement at how you can hang on to God so firmly, how you can, how you can obediently follow his word so well and so persistently and so consistently, and how regardless of how you're feeling physically or what's happening around you, you hold to a firm faith and you demonstrate for others outside that God is worth believing in and he is worth getting all the glory and the honor. And so how am I going to live for God while I suffer? I'm going to ready myself. I'm going to refine myself. I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to resolve in myself all of what God is saying to me in this first Peter text. Here is the fight. The fight, the battle is to love the way God does. Because it's going to take a fight. <clears throat> and it's going to take a reshaping of your thinking. That you remain in love with God and you continue to grow in your love for others in and outside of the family of God. So here are four questions I want to leave with you that I want you to be able to answer this week. How are you clearing and changing your thinking to be ready for action in Christ? How are you clearing and changing your thinking to be ready for action in Christ? How are you allowing the word of God to reshape how you think, how you prepare yourself? How you ready yourself for battle. God is intending for us to battle. He is not intending for us to sit on the sidelines cowering. He wants you to get in the action. And he's prepared you to do that. Second thing. How are you refining or purifying your life? Aligning it with God's word of truth. How are you refining or purifying your life? Aligning it with God's word of truth. How are you being holy by God's standard? Holiness might be a dirty word in our society, but it is exactly how God wants you to live and who he wants you to be. <clears throat> Third question. How are you reminding yourself of what it took to get you into a relationship with God? How are you reminding yourself of what it took to allow you to be in the relationship with God that you currently have? Are you reminding yourself of the great sacrifice? Are you reminding yourself of the precious blood of Christ that it actually took, that you did not come cheap and that your salvation is not cheap, nor is it materialistic? And then lastly, in what ways are you demonstrating your resolve to wage the battle to love from a pure heart? Let me ask that again. In what ways are you demonstrating resolve to wage the battle to love from a pure and purified heart? Are you loving with agendas? Are you loving hoping God takes notice and you kind of get some sort of brownie point for it? Or are you loving because of this growing love that you have for God and thus it spills out into how you love others and, and, and thus you fulfill the law of Christ? We saw last week about bearing one another's burdens and that comes out of love, not out of anger, <clears throat> not out of some sense of obligation, but it is out of this love for God and thus you want to demonstrate that by how you love on others. It is going to take the love of God to help those that are claiming Christ, to help Christ followers to be the church in this world right now. No, the church cannot gather in person, but the church is not closed. 
This building may be closed down to gathering, but God's body of believers known as the church is not closed. I, I, I saw this shirt online. They were advertising that this person had on and it said on the T-shirt, the church has left the building. And right now we are. We're scattered physically, but we're still unified as a body in Christ. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? How are we going to fight that battle to stay connected and to love on one another in ways that we have to be creative to do in this environment? We've seen some expressions of it throughout our society, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our nations, and even in the world. Are you going to be a part of it or are you going to cower back in fear Wondering when God is going to deliver you from all this mess so you can go back to life the way it was. God is calling us to get in the fight and to live the way he has prepared for us to live as we love him and ultimately love others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, that you have bought us at a great price. We did not come cheap. Lord, you bought us, you ransomed us with the precious blood of Christ, that which is imperishable. He, he who was raised from the dead and set us on a course of eternal life. Father, I pray today that we not cower in fear, Lord, that we tie up those loose ends in our minds, that we are sober-minded, Lord, that we are, that we are constantly purifying our lives by obedience to your word, Lord, that we are reminding ourselves of what it took to get us here and that we are resolving to get into the battle to love, Lord, I pray that we would represent and demonstrate you well in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want you to remember, solid word, that even though we are not together um, that you can still give to the work. I know this is hitting us. All of this is hitting many of us hard, financially included. And I know there are some that may not be able to, but if you are, we want to be able to continue the work that God has for us. And it does take your giving. If you go to our website, solidword.org, you will see a link that's there enabling you to be able to give. Um, and for those that are able and for those that can, allow God to continue to use you, that we would continue to be a blessing to our, our community, our city, um, and our nation, as well as our world. And so we thank you for allowing God to use you up until this point, and I look forward to him continuing to use you in the future. Go with God, be strengthened, and be encouraged. Amen.